Hello, everybody. We are back with another episode of the Off-Court Podcast. This is a podcast about the history and political economy of sports. My name is Eitan Tobin. I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Abdul Malik. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Um, just to carbon date ourselves, we actually are recording on the week of the U.S. election. We are not going to talk about it at all. Maybe. Some things might come up every now and then, but... Mostly because we're actually talking about, very specifically, a Canadian sports league for the first time on this show, yeah? Today we are talking about the CFL, uh, the Canadian Football League, its players, and its um, insane labor... I don't want to call it labor relations, but just like the rampant wealth inequality uh, that comes out of this fucking game. Yeah, well, as we're going to see in, like, a lot of our discussions, Abdul, like, there's a threat of oppressive hegemony, like, and it's present within any capitalist structure, right? And I think there's, like, this idea that these small, folksy, sort of, like, like starter leagues, whether it's, like, the CFL or even a minor league, I think people seem to misunderstand that there's... Um, that, that there's something uh, there, there's something within those collective bargaining agreements that can be just that, just, if not more nefarious than any uh, bargaining agreement within like some kind of capitalist company. Yeah, like typically sports uh, teams and sports leagues have actually quite decent contracts. But for this episode, I will let you know, I did read cover to cover the entire fucking CFL CBA which my day job is I do work at a labor union and it is fucking impenetrable on a good day. And this was equally as impenetrable and as, and annoying. Um, but there are a lot of like interesting gems in there, but sort of my biggest takeaway first and foremost is I didn't know this. I make more than an average CFL player makes Lo low key flex. That's okay. It gives us, it gives us context because as you just said, you work in labor and you're right. And like, and people are obviously aware that you uh, are a writer. So uh, people can keep that in mind when they realize how fucking broke some of these CFL players are. Yeah. Like the average, the average CFL salary usually runs about, about I think it's between 60 and 68,000. That's not the base salary, right? So if you make, over that, you're probably going to live longer than your average CFL player make and make more. <laughs> it's kind of horrific that people in the most violent like pro sport in America only like on average make that much. Yeah, so the CFL CBA is super interesting because the guidelines for sort of workers' rights in the CBA are usually set out in terms of how quickly the owners have to pay people. <laughs> Like, that is something that you see brought up over and over again, basically, for any stipend, for any, like, form of payment, it has to be paid within X amount of time, and that time is usually 48 hours, which makes me think that, like, my, my instinct coming to this from that perspective is, it's, I have a feeling that people weren't being paid before, and they bargained this into the fucking contract, right? because these are, like, tight turnarounds, you know what I mean? I wonder, wh yeah, what is the context of ensuring this? Because um, I do see from a lot of the human stories that we're going to talk about that I researched that there's this, like, weird idea in the CFL where everything has to be expedited or it's null void. Like, is that what's happening with these payments? If they don't get out in time to the person, they're just sort of, they disappear into the ether. It's, it's very strange. 
I think that is the case uh, with the pension in a lot of uh, in a lot of contexts. With here, it's like the payments are always going to be on the table, but there's very little in here about players needing to claim anything, right? It's just payment has to be delivered in in one manner or another by a certain amount of time. Uh, if cut within four, if cut within a forty eight hour window leading into a game, the player will be guaranteed a check. The check must be paid. Blank blank blank. Um, I also find it interesting that lodging and stipends. See, this is where like the economic thing about the the CFL makes very little sense to me because the CFL, for those who don't know, is is suspended the season because they couldn't get a thirty million dollar bailout. The commissioner increased it to forty four million dollars uh, recently and just said that he like had to softball it to get anything out of the government. Oh really? Okay. I mean, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fine. We'll t- we'll talk about Randy a little bit later. Yeah, uh, good old Randy. He's a piece of shit. The fact that they're you know lodgings and stuff a count against the salary cap and b are so marginal, like two hundred and fifty dollar housing stipend, which which a counts against the salary cap, which is hilarious. Uh huh. But also is like imagine getting that much to live. <laughs> you know what I mean, like as a- that's not daily, is it? That's not the daily housing allowance, luckily. This is if a player is being moved from the practice roster to an active roster, <laughs> and he receives 250 per week uh, or reasonable lodging, and the or reasonable lodging, and these amounts will be on the salary cap uh, if he does not have a housing allowance in a standard player contract. I could not pull up a copy of a standard player contract. I could not find one. But something tells me that given the immense size of, of these teams and stuff like that, most players are likely on a standard player contract. I assume that also the uh, the line uh, of the uh, CBA that you just read about reasonable lodging is uh, is vague enough that it can be used quite differently by the different uh finances of these different teams as we'll probably discuss a bit more but there's quite a bit of a disparity between how much the fucking saskatchewan rough riders make and how much the toronto argonauts make just on like a tax and provincial level um i'd be really curious to find out which teams uh really take advantage of the reasonable lodgings lines and which ones are just the 250 dollar maximum the fun fact about the Rough Riders, they are one of the most profitable sports teams, uh, dollar for dollar, in North America. Yeah, Regina specifically, for whatever reason, seems to have uh, a Rough Riders religion there, right? I guess there's no other major sports or whatever. I, I believe they have a new stadium, my research for my stadium piece today, and stuff like that. Like, Whereas the Argos are, you know, competing with <laughs> BMO field, like they're competing with soccer, uh, hockey, obviously, basketball now, right? Like uh, lacrosse even, right? The Toronto Rock are a very good team. It's stuff like that that I find really interesting because like, you also have to consider the size of sports arenas uh, or football arenas or stadiums is enormous, right? Like you, you have these massive rosters and then you have these massive stadiums you need to constantly be filling. So I, I'm not surprised if the profit margins are thin, but at the same time, like the fact that the Rough Riders make so much money should point to the fact that they're not, they're probably not as, you know, unwell to do as they claim they are. And also, I, it, just going back to my housing point, we do have to understand that uh, $250 pays for very different types of housing in the Toronto region than it does in the Regina region. But still not enough to live. Like, what team would provide reasonable lodging when they could just give a guy a thousand bucks a month and be like, figure it out? 
Yeah, which, I mean, some people will scoff at and I guess say, like, I would love an extra $1,000 on top of my salary to live anywhere. But at the end of the day, these are athletes that are traveling around. They, um, Although they have an off-season, they have to use that off-season to train and keep their bodies, as we're going to discuss. Like, this is a year-round um, job, and it seems like the CFL is committed to keeping it that way with how low they keep their fucking margins. I mean, people do also need to understand that financially these teams are making most of their money especially teams like uh, toronto argonauts where there might be less interest in their team off ticket sales alone like there's very low interest in watching this sport on tv even in canada yeah like their their tv deal uh, you know provides most of the revenue and that's void obviously by like fans and season ticket holders but like I have a friend who had season tickets to the Eskimos. He pays 300 bucks and paid another 300 for Grey Cup tickets. Like, oh, wow. it's not... It's a week of reasonable lodging. It's not as profitable as the NFL. No one expects it to be. The NFL is the most profitable, you know, sports league in the United States. But, like, it is, no, again, nowhere near as, uh, as you know, impoverished as it claims to be perpetually, right? Like, this is a... This is a fucking arena, or not arena, this is a fucking league that's perpetually asking for, like, handouts from the government that keeps, like, talking about the importance of, like, financing new stadiums, right? Like you saw with uh, with Saskatchewan. Like, these are, yeah, it's just, it's it's this typical, very sportsy thing of, like, we bring jobs and money to the economy, which they really fucking don't. This notion is very mute when you consider, like, there's very little teams in Canada. There's not that much interest in it other than the specific hometowns that include it. And although the stadiums are big at some places, like, the Hamilton Tiger Cats play in, like, the same kind of stadium that I think, like, a, uh, the university town, uh, the university team plays in. I, I went to a, ti- a Hamilton Tiger Cats game, and I think it's only a 10,000-place uh, uh, arena. So the, the financials of these teams vary, like, in extreme ways. It was also funded with public money, by the way. There you go. Uh, Tim Hortons Field, yeah, 23,000 people can fit in it. Uh, it cost $145 million and was, at the very least, partially funded with public money. Something I found that was quite interesting uh, in my research, research, in my reading of this fucking stupid legal document, there is a discrepancy between what they call um, international players and national or American players in terms of pay. So if you're being brought over outside of North America, you get paid 54000 which is the base salary. And if you're coming in from Canada or the U.S., you get paid 65000 Huh. That, 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 does, that doesn't seem to make sense to me with the amount of uh, effort I would assume it would take to come from anywhere but this fucking continent to come and play in a league that pays you that much. That's, that's intriguing. Yeah, it is. It is one of these weird rules that, like, I don't know what why it's reinforcing this like international national dynamic but like it yeah it's it is i looked at it and i tried to find more research on it and there's really nothing written about it it's just like one of those four granted things in the cba um but like american football isn't really is popular in three countries and those are america canada and uh it's gaining popularity in england right like there isn't a huge market for it anywhere um this feels like a weird rule to throw in your cba um and also oddly xenophobic yeah it's also weird to me because i isn't there a minimum amount of canadian players that you need on a team so yeah absolutely why is there no distinction then between the canadian and american salaries in that sense it 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 seems to to be acknowledging that there is a 
a sort of um, loose pathway between the NFL and CFL without the league sort of acknowledging it or giving also room for the players to to make their way to the NFL, as we'll talk about later in my research with just sort of how their offseason works. The other thing is, is like, you know, you sign for like a minimum two-year contract and then your option year is your base salary plus up to 10%. So for your first three years, you're really not seeing anything in the way of uh, upward mobility. You get a maximum $7,500 sign or housing bonus not both one or the other and then you get a 50 plus one bonus based on offense and defensive snaps that's the same amount of 7500 so the most you can hope to make in your first three years uh is if you're on a minimum contract again which i'm assuming most of these players are is like 70 something thousand dollars (laughs) which you know sounds like a decent amount to live but you know that'll barely make ends meet in Vancouver, for example. And with the amount of work, again, that you have to do in the offseason as a player. It's interesting to me, too, that there is a, you know, the the CFL is a league that's going to probably operate for mo- for a very long time under this idea of eventually growing, expanding its reach, and, and sort of getting the players to buy into that motto. So it's interesting to me that there's a maximum salary, too, on their CBA. Like, it sort of seems a bit anti-growth and anti-capitalist to, to their notions, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There is like a minimum salary you have to hit, period. That's something in the one point something million dollars. Um, And then there is like a a salary cap. But like the idea of minimum salaries on rosters also like it's clearly meant to make sure that they at least have some players who are getting paid more. But the fact that you have to go in between these two things when you have like such low salaries to begin with means that you're you're really going to get like one or two players who are paid quote-unquote real athlete money and everyone else is eating shit i'm also it's just hitting me that like the the salary cap in the cfl is like doesn't even come close to matching like the salary of like a wide receiver on the fucking dolphins you know what i mean it really puts into perspective the difference in money for people i just want to want to illustrate that for people especially who aren't familiar with both sports once again they also have, like, a clause that allows people to transfer to the NFL, but that, like, rarely happens. Um, it really sucks this year with the suspension, too, because, like, you can't be a journeyman uh, football player, right? There aren't a bunch of minor leagues you can play in and make a decent living like there is with, say, basketball or even um, hockey or soccer. You know, if you're a basketball player who's not in the um, NBA, you can come to Canada, play for the CEBL for three months of the year, take a month off, go to Israel, play for the Israeli Basketball League for X amount of time, take a couple months off and then go to Belgium, right? And then come back home for the last three months and, and hang out there. It's like you you there's like four <laughs> major football, major football leagues you can really play in and none of them are a really pay that much except for the NFL and B like just the act of maintaining your body for football for 12 games or whatever is a Herculean feat. Like there's a reason there's games once a week rather than, you know, the NBA, which is like every two to three days. And just going back to the salary that alone acts as like a roadblock for these players to find their way through this, like what people would think as this natural development pipeline between the CFL and the NFL. But what happens is with, again, they, these people, ha- these players have to put money into their own bodies on the off season. So what ends up happening is like there is no just like natural pathway. You start in the CFL and you sort of make it into the NFL. People just sort of bounce back 
uh, back and forth based on opportunity and just based on the need to have money. And like, it's actually more so that a lot of NFL players who don't have opportunities will come to the CFL to show out in hopes of coming back. And sort of when they can come back, they'll just give up on their CFL players while on the, their CFL career while journeyman CFL players are sort of stuck in their position. They, they never make enough money to make their way to the NFL. You know, football, the NFL is still the one league that doesn't have a pension. And, like, one of the articles I sent you for this was uh, how the the pension for the CFL, which, by the way, is like a $4,100 contribution per year, is mostly unclaimed. <laughs> like, players don't ever tap into it, which is both a failure on the union's part in making them aware of it, but also there's got to be some deliberation there in terms of, like, ownership and, and the people managing the pension fund wanting to keep it, you know, mostly intact for reasons X, Y, or Z. I, uh, I, I find it, too, a very uh, interesting uh, mirror to the uh, that 48-hour period that you had mentioned. There's just this weird sort of, like, mis misguided uh, misguidedness about the way they work with Not They're not misguided. There's clearly something going on with the way they choose the timelines and their finances within the CBA that's unique and pretty different than most other CBAs, which are a lot more dynamic and, like, player-friendly, fr as I'm sure people who follow the NBA are aware, even the NHL, and the NFL, which may not have pensions, you know. So minimum salary, by the way, in the um, in the league is four million six hundred fifty thousand dollars. But the highest paid players make one to two million dollars. Right, and you're also looking math. at a roster, yeah, of fifty five people. Right, so break it apart in your head, and you'll see that it's like, you know, one to two players are making the probably like the lion's share of that amount and everyone else is like fighting for the scraps and they it's have a lot uh, of money they have pretty uh heavy penalties for uh people for teams surpassing the cap from what i understand right and they do like really fucking like strict audits every year on this they have a very high they have a very intense luxury luxury tax problem as well but um i just want to point out this minimum salary is like for a team is less than a vet minimum in the nba <laughs> like i think a vet minimum in the nba is 66 million five hundred thousand consi like, like, consider the taxes in canada too like a mark the soul could buy out the salaries of two full-size cfl teams if he wanted to <laughs> probably not as much but like remember that that is the minimum it can go higher it probably doesn't go that much higher <laughs> not unless they uh unless they i guess expand their um their their TV deals and things like that. I have a really interesting um, quote from Randy about um, their expansion with their uh, TV deals, um, and I really like this uh, wording that he used. So like he talks about in this uh, in a TV segment with the CTV News about this idea that the CFL is a small folksy league and how they're trying to become a global league in some way. And they actually did sign like a TV deal with a bunch of other countries, including Mexico and England, like these like minimum TV deals, basically like almost as charity. He referred to them as the coalition of the willing. That's what he said. I he love liked, that. That's what he said. He likes to call these guys. So there's this like weird defeatist attitude, even in like their expansion efforts that they try to mention over and over again, uh, which makes the fact that they are like so strict about their little bit of finance that much more suspect. The more and more you go through the CBA. I did look up average salaries of CFL teams, um, and it is like I just want to point out averages are not good in terms of figuring out actual economics. Uh, because, like, for example, um, when when P 
pitching new stadiums, uh, owners will talk to like a potential higher overall salary, but when they're factoring in workers in the stadiums, they also factor in the players. <laughs> um, so if you're making thirty million dollars and most people are making thirty, um, it'll it'll find like an average that like does overall bump up the people at the bottom. So like the Stampeders have the highest average salary at at a hundred thousand dollars per player, right? Still relatively nothing. The Argos have the lowest at eighty thousand, which uh the uh second most expensive city. Yeah, the the most expensive cities in Canada have the lowest average salary. Uh the Lions, the Alouettes, uh Montreal, BC, and Toronto. But yeah, with that we'll uh we'll cut to break and get into some of the more personable <laughs> elements of this. Are you into video games or ever wondered why something like video games is even important to be discussed, to be listened to? If so, check out Buffs and Nerfs, another podcast from the Mind Refinery. Hosts Andrew and Sam will talk about the latest from the gaming world and dive deep into the culture of games. From the game mechanics of Destiny 2, which... God, stop Bungie making me spend money and play your fucking video game. I gotta do research for this podcast. Uh, to the future of cloud gaming, they explore the relevance of gaming through personal experience and their impact on society. That was a great episode, too. I highly recommend listening to this podcast. As we just went through the CBA with Abdul, there's not much room there for players to have uh, really, you know, fulfilling lives outside of the CFL. Like, um, you know, as we said, like the the uh, a high draft pick in the CFL can expect like a small signing bonus, but a salary of about fifty thousand um, dollars, and then the minimum salary being forty one thousand dollars, the salary cap being four point two million dollars. Um, we also need to consider that like the CFL season is about six months in la- length, um, and like as we were saying earlier, like a season can last much longer than that or much longer than the uh, length of that season for any athlete because they need to stay in condition. They need to report for training camp. Um, that's where players have to like, imp- and, and sorry, and they need to be ready for training camp. One, two, three. Um, by the way, we never mentioned like that CFL uh, coaches can earn anywhere in like a few hundred thousand uh, dollars to like, millions of dollars so the salary cap i believe doesn't affect them in any way they they don't their salary it's players only right yeah so people need to keep that in mind that the cfl it weirdly mirrors the college uh sports landscape financial financial structure in very very strange ways so keeping all that money in mind people are probably wondering what do cfl players do in the off season like do they get second gigs post playing career like most people would also like assume, I guess, that they have like construction jobs or something on the side and they can just use your bodies to do this. But A, as we said, like these players can't get injured in the off season. They can't strain themselves in the off season. And like in fact I've actually had two different Argos players as teachers in the elementary school in the when I was uh, studying in the GTA. Uh studying Were they a, phys ed teachers? Uh no. They was a history teacher and a geography teacher, to my point. That's awesome. It would have been really cool if I remembered their names and we could talk about that a bit, but it's been twenty years since I was in grade eight and I've been drinking <laughs> alcohol and smoking weed basically every day since then so just that's it's just not gonna happen by the way i just found out the the highest paid salary in the cfl is three million right now and they're not obligated to disclose salaries unlike most sports teams so this is like this is like obviously leaks or just something they paraded around but like yeah three million is 
extensive when you consider it as a part of the salary cap, even if it's over three years or four years. That is, wow. So that means that they have reserved $1 million for the rest of their fucking team, and they just split that up between the rest of them. What team is this? Uh, that's the Stampeders, which also has the highest average salary. So you remember what I was saying before about averages being trash? So yeah, it's it's interesting to me that I got a lot of information from a monster.ca article. It just makes me wonder like are they expecting CFL play or did they get CFL players coming through their website looking for work? They must have because they fucking they wrote about this. So yeah, I'm just going to read a little bit of this article. Um some of the most famous CFL players do well on their professional speaking circuit circuit, so like um Toronto Argonaut uh legend Michael, Michael Pinball Clemens can probably be seen as like the most successful story outside of the CFL because he's gone on to do speaking tours. He actually he's actually a great guy. He's done a lot of advocating and fundraising for really you you had mentioned uh one of his recent initiatives in our chat, right? Yeah, he like I think he's co-owner of the Argos now. And uh I went to school with his kids because uh you know, I went to a private school in Oakville, Ontario. But like, yeah, he was you came by all the time, right? Like you'd see him pretty pretty frequently in and around in around town stuff like that he is a genuinely seems like a very nice guy um but like he is this like weird success story and a history of just a horrific failure and sadness yeah because like you know some people some players um can go on to say like that the cfl is their lifetime employer and they can you know kind of rest their loins with that but like not basically not everybody as we discussed um from the average like you could just imagine from the average money that these guys make i have a list here of some recent examples of players who have been willing to share their off-season work uh tristan jackson of the saskatchewan rough riders works as a pipeline worker for 26 dollars an hour mike bradwell of the toronto argonauts works as a civil engineer for 37 dollars an hour actually one of the bigger stories from from all these uh cory sheets of the saskatchewan rough riders 2013 gray cup mvp works as a truck driver for 19 dollars an hour wait he was a gray cup mvp yeah a gray cup mvp is currently delivering uh who knows uh walmart uh plastic uh products maybe big mac like pre-made big mac materials he's out there on the roads after yeah winning fucking gray cup mvp and winning a championship for uh as you had mentioned, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, like one of the more popular teams within their hometown. I don't know where it's coming from, but like all the articles I could find about this notion are very playful and just sort of like explain that like this is the hardship of life. If you're going to play in a small league that the CFL, you're going to have to diversify and uh, use your platform to be a businessman. You hear that all the time about, you know, like basketball players right now, especially with social issues. They use their platform to uh, to speak louder for marginalized voices. Well, these people are, are basically told to use their platform to make a livable wage because they can't get it in their own fucking platform. And, like, that that is... Like, can you imagine, like, working with someone, you know, day in, day out, and you just find out they used to be, like, a, a huge football player or something like that? Who probably, by the way, did not make very much being a football player to begin with. But it's like, hey, I watched you on TV two years ago, and now you're, you know, flinging packages on at me at the Amazon assembly line, right? Or, like, the warehouse line or whatever. <laughs> they're um, always going to be noticeable, way, too, because they're massive. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, to your point about these players, I, I think there's also something to be said about the psychological effects here and also the way the media sort of plays it out. 
you know, like LeBron James has gone on like undercover boss style uh, advertising campaigns for his pizza chain, Blaze Pizza, the best fast food pizza chain in the world, bar I none. I didn't know he made he made those kinds of ads. That's hilarious. I'm gonna look him up. Yeah, where where he's just working at Blaze Pizza and there's like a hidden camera and people are like, "You look really familiar." And he's like, "No, I just I'm just Joe. I just work here." And at the end, he's like, "Psych, I'm LeBron." <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, he's like serving up people pizzas and shit like that, but it's like, you know, LeBron James works very hard, and I don't want to deny him that, right? But like, could you imagine telling any player, like literally any player, uh, in a current active roster in like any of the big four sports leagues to take a day job? Uh, and that is like literally what the commissioner says. Like that, that is his answer to any question about, um, about salary, about if there's a future where like the CFL is going to expand. The psychological element here is I think important because like at the end of the day, when you're part of a league, you're, and also when you've signed a a collective bargaining agreement that says that you're not going to criticize that league, you kind of do have to like sleepwalk through it and just sort of allow yourself to believe that the league is not only in its best interest for you, but is looking ahead to sort of expand so that they can make up any promises that they've made to you that there's going to be more money in the league. But there's literally an article from the CBC titled Get a Job. CFL commissioners suggest players work in the offseason. Yeah, so basically, he uh, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, uh, who, by the way, sounds as fucking uh, douchey, and it, it, no offense to Italians, but as Italian as uh, as that sounds, he looks kind of like a mob boss, but with like that Canadian accent. He's very Doug Ford vibes. He looks like Pete Buttigieg crossed with someone else. You know, you've seen Spider-Man 2, right? The Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 2? You know Spider-Man's landlord? Yeah. <laughs> He looks like he looks like Spider-Man's Slavic landlord crossed with Pete Buttigieg. Like it's, I'm looking at his Wikipedia photo right now. It's actually mildly uncanny. He's like, so yeah, he has the he has the body of like a large, like scary Balkan man with the face of like a rat, like like British, like little boy. Yeah, he's a trench rat from World War One. Like he's got that tiny head, big body, big boy vibes. But yeah, just back to the psychological element, like this basically like this guy is like giving like a daddy speech to the CFL players whenever they fucking ask for money. Uh, Quote from Randy, our players at the end of the season are free to work. And frankly, I personally encourage them to do that. That's how I built my career. Right. So there's this sort of like guilt and shame that we will see a lot from the CFL. Uh, Quote, I worked during the season as well, but I certainly worked full time in the offseason. And I encourage our guys to do that, to start building an opportunity, opportunity for their after football life, which frankly comes up more quickly than you would think when you're in the game. So sort of like wagging his finger at you, but also reminding you that, again, you have this platform that you can grow out of. You can use your CFL uh, name to get jobs, which like you were saying about LeBron James, like when, when any of these CFL players show up for the interview, it's not like people just start like worshiping them and just tell them to come in. Like the first thing that happens is questions come about. They ask, why are you here? Why do you need this money? Like, weren't you a successful CFL player? And like, I just can't imagine the trauma of just going through that process, you know? Also, people don't want to hire you if they know you're going to go quit and play a game for more than half the year. Like, they're not going to want you there. And also, like, how do you put that on a resume when you're applying for, like, I don't know, fucking temp work? There is such a thing as being overqualified or being laterally qualified, which this definitely falls into the, like, laterally qualified 
thing, right? Also, don't forget, like, there are no sports scholarships in Canada. Like, yeah, exactly. We I don't mean, the, do that here. Yeah. There's not, not really a natural pipeline, yeah, from like playing uni- Canadian university football to then becoming like some successful CFL player. It's not, it's, um, it's just not the same thing. I mean, just based, like, just going to what you just said. Like, think about all the jobs we had mentioned that people are working as. Delivery drivers, construction workers, pipeline workers. In the article about John Cornish, they ask his uh, manager about uh, what it's like to have him. And he goes, uh, his manager, his last name is Wu. Uh, TD Bank is a great fit for a CFL player, Wu says, because it's open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Seven days a week, allowing Cornish to be flexible with his shifts that fit around his football schedule. I mean, like... Most everyone should only have to work one job, but like, also consider that neither of these jobs, none of these jobs that you've described, are like even integrable with football in a way that's like conducive to maintaining a healthy body, right? Like, if you're a pipeline worker, you're destroying your body more, right, to um like play the game and not in the way that you would like condition yourself to play football. And if you're like a delivery driver, you're on your ass for eight hours a day and then getting up in short bursts your body is simultaneously atrophying and your knees are getting weaker at the same time there's no like job for an athlete that helps and this is like a a good like strong example of that which means by the way when you go back to play you're then more injury prone because your body hasn't been conditioned to take the kind of abuse that a football player's body needs to be conditioned to take, right? Like you're basically setting these guys up to be injured. By the way, Randy Ambrosi is six foot four and his salary is a million dollars after incentives. I hope it's paying for big collared suits that I, I know he likes to wear. He's very like he actually kinda has like a Brian Colangelo vibe. Or Vince McMahon. Yeah, he, he's like the no name president's choice version of Vince McMahon or Brian Colangelo. He looks like the <laughs> he looks like the fucking like like Canadian public access version of those guys. You were actually mentioning this in the CBA segment, like that there really isn't a path to go to from the CFL to the NFL in, in this like what people would assume People would assume that the CFL would be this natural launch pad, basically, for like future NFL players, but it's not really the case. This is actually from the same CBC article. This was back in 2018. Running back James Wilder Jr. and defensive lineman Victor Butler both uh, expressed frustration that the Toronto Argonauts wouldn't allow them to pursue lucrative NFL opportunities this offseason. And this was when they had both signed like two-year deals just then. Wilder Jr. said in a statement that his base salary last season was $56,000 and he planned to sit out the season and work a construction job to support his family of four. As a seven-year NFL vet, Butler would make over $900,000 U.S. compared to the $60,000 Canadian that he says he is scheduled to earn in 2018 with the Toronto. Of course, when you're sitting in a locker room, everyone wants to make more money. And that's true at the world at large. Ambrosi said everyone like would like a pay raise and then make a little more to look after their family. Um, I don't, again, like Ambrosi just comes in with like these like daddy wa- wagging your finger fucking quotes to just dismiss the fact that uh wilder wants to just like make more money for destroying his body in football you're uh you're stoned right yeah sorry am i slurring my words and shit no 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 try to decode this because this okay. is this is part of uh cba uh, the cfl cba article 36 oh, I'm a section. okay okay sorry i got very self-conscious there people <laughs> oh it's okay I'm, I'm gonna challenge you to decrypt this because i can't uh, article section 36.01 about transfer into the national football league player who assigned a cfl standard player contract with a member club may sign an nfl standard player contract with an nfl member club here and after referred to as an nfl club 
from the date following the day that the CFL season has ended for the player until his contract has expired, or the second Tuesday in February in the following season, whichever is earlier, provided the said player is about to enter his option year following the season just ended or has played out his option. His contract will be expiring on the second Tuesday in February in the year following the season just ended. <laughs> it's funny because I guess that's how they were able to use the, this whole thing with uh, James Wilder Jr. was supposedly a verbal, a gentleman's agreement that they were going to let him uh, leave his contract after a year and pursue an NFL career. So, I mean, it's just funny to see the CBA kind of get wielded by the team as as a powerful tool to hold like he was quoted to say the Argonauts are holding me hostage because he probably he he knew that legally there's nothing really he can do about it from what you're reading and also like try decoding the the mechanics of like that of that like opt-out like I'm sure they have a, a CAFL PA rep who's there to help them decode it but that even just like you know in first second or in my case 10th read that window is quite small and quite specific like it's not like they can opt out at any time. It's it's uh, basically as long as a very specific kind of conditions are met at a very specific uh, time of year. By the way, um, speaking of CFL executives, have you ever seen Wade Miller, the CFL or the Blue Bombers uh, president? No, should I Google search him right? Google, Google Wade image. Miller because he is, and and I don't say this lightly because I I usually don't do <sighs> this, but he is. Maybe the most hideous person I've ever seen in my life. Uh, who's who's that like? Uh, who's that svelte uh, guy with the glasses that was at all the like American debates in the past few years that people like fell in love with? Oh, um, he's he's like the nega universe Ken Bone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. He's like uh, Ken Bone's evil brother. Evil brothers into yeah. like into like uh, trade like stock trading and stuff. I've just never seen someone's face in that shape you know what i mean like i've never seen that very specific shape it is spectacular he's he's also a piece of shit by the way like the the blue bombers posted a, th- a three to five million dollar profit every year for the last four years and cut salaries and laid people off the second COVID started as with like winnipeg sports actually are low-key the most evil in the country <laughs> between uh nygaard you know famous friend of jeffrey epstein between was it Epstein? I don't know. He's wrapped up in some pedophile conspiracy theory. Not between like Nygaard and uh and Wade Miller and even the fucking Human Rights Museum there. Like it's just an awful place. It, and it's actually um I don't know if this was in the CBA, but the CFL actually used to have like an option window, um which gave players like when they entered their final year or option year uh deals like a roughly a six week stretch to work out with uh, NFL teams. Um, and this used to happen back when Randy Ambrosi got to be it was a player, and uh, uh, he's quoted saying, "It's too late for the league to look at the matter now, but he's li- but I'd like to leave the door open for it later." So I don't know. I guess when you're as successful as him, because um, he became the fucking North American head of sales at HSBC Securities when he retired in 2004, um, and uh, and went on to become the president uh, eventually. So uh, he he did pretty well for himself afterwards i guess he doesn't see the need for uh players to have routes to more success as much as him. what i what i just described was the option window and it is it is very bad right it's not it's not as loose as the, it's not like at the six weeks that i just described 
Yeah, and if it's if it's an option window too, like if you're in a two year contract, right? Like or a three year contract or whatever, you're locked in even if you are requisition. Like I'd be interested to see who comes back to the NFL or to the CFL uh this up- upcoming year and stuff like that. But you know, a lot of these players could have hypothetically gone and played for the XFL and had quite a few Canadian players. Uh obviously that's not even an option right now cuz the XFL is on is on hold, but The Rock is bringing it back. Yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna fucking save the XFL because Vince McMahon was not did not plan that accordingly with uh, this uh, in this new inaugural season. Let me say that. Um, like it's actually uh, funny. I'll just go to the XFL for a second because I have this for le- later. But like it actually might. It's been noted that it might pay players a little bit better than the CFL. Depressingly enough, XFL. By the way, when it started, the XFL would not pay health benefits that was in its first incarnation vince refused to pay health benefits for players that was one of one of his like hard lines they would not cross until he rebooted it oh my god i mean for people who don't know by the way really quickly um the xfl is a professional american football league but um it ran for like a single season in 2001 and it was a joint venture between the wwf and nbc so basically it was like wrestling created a football league and it wanted to be the competitor of the nfl and like it did and marketed itself as like the more violent more fun like league with like more fucking like fouling allowed more injuries and more boobies more big big i was gonna say like they really they had uh you know a huge thing where it was just like we're gonna have like 10 times the cheerleaders and they're gonna be like wearing way less and also players can put whatever the fuck they want on the back of their jerseys as long as it's tv appropriate so like the 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 mvp of that season i'm pretty sure his jersey just said he hate me and that was the guy there's a great like i for the podcast uh, we're not going to cover anything that's been covered by 30 for 30 but like there is a great 30 for 30 called this is the xfl which is one of the most entertaining sports documentaries ever made yeah, maybe we can find like a very uh, micro story in the XFL that we can cover. But yeah, that thirty for thirty. He hate me specifically. Yeah. would be a great story. Man, the XFL is like the is like the AJ Soprano of like of like football leagues. It's so it's so meant for like two thousand and one. Like it's like the XFL is the is it's the Lincoln Park Jay Z mashup of football leagues. It's really <laughs> it's really meant for that weird like pre nine eleven angst when you weren't. You weren't mad at the world. You were just mad that, like, your fucking parents existed. You know what I mean? I love it. Yeah, it's like if you listen to Avenged Sevenfold, you went to a XFL game. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, we already talked about the CFL numbers, but just to go on an XFL tangent really quickly, this is from an article by Sean Moore on XFL News Hub. I'm sure their traffic. I'm sure their traffic is great these days. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, my click, my click, uh, really probably surprised. It, it, the whole room like lit up, and everybody got back to the office to just discuss my visit, probably. So yeah, he goes through the CFL numbers, and then uh, this is a quote. So with that in mind, how will the XFL compare? We know that the XFL has tiered salary structure, with the top tier making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars US a year, with possibly going up to six hundred thousand US which equals $326,000 Canadian and $783,000 Canadian, while the bottom tier will pay between $50,000 to $70,000. So that alone pays more than like minimum CFL uh, CFL, league, uh, uh, CFL salaries. And let's just keep in mind, again, that the XFL is a startup league. The CFL has been around 
for over a hundred fucking years. Yeah, that's brutal. Like that is actually the I think one of the toughest things to hear about in this. Like players make good stuff, but you also have to like think about this. Also has a trickle down effect on everyone else, right? Like think about how much uh staff in the arenas make as a result of this right like if the players set like a a basic benchmark like it's well known that arena jobs do pay more than a lot of other service jobs uh they do take away uh money from other service jobs actually because when you spend money on a on a basketball game you're not going to spend money going to the movies that week right and Fewer people go to movies, fewer people go to restaurants near the stadium. Those salaries get cut, but there's usually like a $10 bump in pay for uh, arena staff, right? Like, still not a lot. Still absolute fucking bullshit. But like, imagine how front of house, how cleaners, how, you know, service workers in those stadiums are getting paid, right? It's probably, without knowing for a fact, I'm going to say they're probably almost all part-time or casual. Um, well, they would have to be because the games are so infrequent, right? Like, and they're probably getting paid minimum wage while they're part time and casual. It's hard to think that the COVID nineteen epidemic might have affected the arena workers at some of these uh, arenas basically the same as like the CFL players. Like they they but all basically all the employees at a CFL arena had to apply for CERB when they're when they're fucking. Uh, when their season got canceled this year. It's kind of depressing. Actually, if they were an international player on a minimum salary, they weren't eligible for CERB. Yeah, and actually, in fact, I'm actually just realizing from my notes that some players weren't able to claim wage subsidy programs because they technically weren't employed. Like, they couldn't get their hands on, like, on, on some of these programs because, like, they just, because the season had never started, they were technically never working during this time. So it was all based on last season's finances. Um, they were... Uh, effectively unemployed thanks to uh, Randy Ambrosi who yeah had as we had mentioned had to beg for uh, 30 million dollars um, the reason being that like that they had to beg for this money too is that they get a lot of their money from ticket sales and like for in some instances yes broadcasting games would be uh, uh, profitable for these teams but not for most of them like without without fans in the standings there wasn't really a lot of financial interest for the CFL to have like a bubble style league like the uh, NBA did even the CEBL the Canadian Elite Basketball League the second year startup <laughs> league yeah didn't they were... ask for money and got a bubble it was so much fun by the way yeah I watched a few of those games that was awesome like yeah. it just it shows this like defeatist fucking like we're doing the bare minimum uh action from the 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 cfl commission the most i've ever liked our government is when they didn't bail out the cfl because like for a lot of people uh like and, and to sort of you know maybe to end on this like to break into the cultural aspect of it like the rough riders for example are a religion a lot of people i know even through all the bullshit with the name like bought were season ticket holders for the Edmonton football team. Outside of, like, Toronto and Vancouver, which obviously, for obvious reasons, have the least interest in... Well, not even that, because the BC Lions are a huge team, but that's because they're, you know, not just Vancouver. For a lot of uh, Canadian cities, this is the other sport. Or in some cases, it's like Saskatchewan. It is the only sport, right? Or Halifax, for that matter. Or Ottawa, where the Sanders are, like, a non non-entity, non-starter playing in a literally crumbling arena that no one actually 
wants to go to or can afford to go to, right? So it's like these teams have like a certain level of cultural dominance and cachet, and there's something about the CFL being older than the NFL and being a much more interesting game than American football, right, to watch. It's, it's a lot more strategic. It's a lot more cerebral because of its, like, small rule changes and shit like that. Like, people really do like believe in this league and stuff like that it it would have been easy way to like curry favor to say you know for justin trudeau to say like you know i saved the cfl right for voters in saskatchewan and stuff like that obviously the optics everywhere else in the country would have been fucking horrific so they didn't but like you know it's it's one of the very rare examples where you know sports hasn't been bailed out by public money i think that is a reflection of the apathy that not only the NF- the CFL players have to uh, have to you know have to to internalize just to survive in this league, but it shows the public appearance of this league to people. Like the messaging that I also found in all my articles about what players are going to do with the se- season being canceled was kind of the same messaging about how quirky it is that they have a second job. Like uh, a lot of the wording was just it's time to now figure that out. Like this like uh, this just expedites that process that they would have had to deal with whether or not there was coronavirus or not. So in this weird way like Justin Trudeau's response just reflects like what we are all taught to lo- to think about the CFL, which is it's just the reality that they're going to have a second job and have to have a job out of the CFL. It's not really up to me. Like Trudeau basically is saying, it's not up to me to save these guys. This was their hobby to begin with. No one's going to pay for their hobby. It's kind of the most also like cruel response to uh, the COVID-19 epidemic that I've seen from Trudeau, which I've been, I, as somebody who received CERB after losing their server job, I was very happy with them, you know? The other thing is, is like, you know, I mean, like you're not hearing about players getting COVID. Like you're hearing about it in every other league, whether or not the league is going. It's also one of these ways that like players are, are actively dehumanized. Like a lot of CFL fans cheer for the team more than they cheer for the players because the players are so transient. Like a lot of fans might see it as a bonus that they see, you know, a recognizable CFL player at Home Depot or something like working the till. The only superstar, you know, I can remember, and I I don't follow it super closely, but like Pinball Clemens is the closest thing to household name the CFL has. He hasn't been in the league for like 20 years. And I even don't really remember him in the league. I just remember the name because it's funny. And like I've seen him on TV. He he. There's a reason why he makes money off speaking tours. Like he's a very bubbly and like outward and really outgoing person. And and a, he has a great personality. So that's mostly why I even remember him. To be honest. I mean, in short, uh, the CFL uh, sucks ass. <laughs> Yeah, we, we had actually a lot to go through. Like, Abdul had gone through the entire CBA. I have a million stories that I didn't even get to, but this is just an enormous topic that we might have to, to get more micro with as we go along. If we uh, if we ever do open up a Patreon, we should do a bonus episode on all the stuff you didn't go to because I'd hate for that research to go to waste. In short, too, like, we you just said the CFL sucks. This also just shows how the CFL sucks just as much as any other company that used COVID as an excuse to like undercut their own laborers who needed them the most. Like when we um when when COVID nineteen hit, like we really need to look at a major sport as grueling as football, almost like an industry job that needs to be properly unionized. And in a sense, like uh, it, there's a movement like that pushing against the hegemony of being part of the CFL, where you just have to sort of accept that this is the best it could be. Like, this is just the end to itself. The league is giving you opportunities. Um, you know, it might not be the most prominent league, but, but you know, this is my league. Yet, as we were just going through with all of our, our examples, the CFL is nothing without its players. 
Um, but unfortunately, I guess when it comes to like lower tier leagues like this, the players need the CFL just as much as the CFL needs them. So it's create it creates this really parasitic relationship that's that's hard to wrap your head around, and I think is why people are confused on it from the outside about whoa, why do they need other jobs? It seems fine to be an athlete. It, it, I think it all feeds that confusion, you know? And, like, it's it's worth remembering, like, most of these teams are profitable and could, you know, survive a season. When owners kill, like, sports seasons or start laying off people, they're not they're not trying to rescue the organization or rescue the profit, right? They're trying to rescue the profit margin because they have the money in the bank to pay everyone for at least a season, if not more. Like the Raptors could easily, for example, like take another sport could easily pay their entire staff for years at this point with how profitable that team is. So like even looking at the, the blue bombers, right. And this guy, what Wade Miller, you know, this fucking weird ogre of a man he posted a four million dollar profit for years right like of course he could pay people but yeah, he didn't he looks um, he looks like he did too <laughs> he fucking looks it yeah. it's it's worth recognizing in all this like you know i go back to this idea players are workers and like the, the discrepancy between your your highest paid and your lowest paid is often canadian sports leagues just as shitty as american ones who would have fucking guessed CFL is treating its players like Amazon fucking treated its employees during this pandemic. Whether we really understand that or not, with the amount of money that they make, that is what's happening at the end of the day. With considering the labor, considering the grueling sport, considering their short off season, um, it's that's just a given. By the way, because we add something Raptors related all the time, that fucking Randy Ambrosi in one of the interviews I had watched, he was asked if he thinks that basketball is now more popular than hockey or football in Canada, which I don't know why they had to include football. That is even a question. Um, and he dismisses the notion that basketball is more popular in Canada because of the Raptors winning the championship. And he says it was because like, and he, I guess he's talking about the, uh, this idea that the CFL just needs to grow globally. And all, he basically says the championship was a global news story. It was a phenomenon. So the millions of people who showed up at the championship parade, he's, he said this, they wouldn't know what a free throw is or a double dribble is. They just went there because it was a global phenomenon. So uh, not only is he uh, terrible to his uh, own league's players, but he's also a condescending asshole. What a fucking prick. I, if the CFL goes under, I'll feel bad for the players more than I feel bad for him. And look, the experience of going to a CFL game is very much like, I, I don't know, I haven't actually been able to attend a hockey game since I immigrated to Canada, but going to the few CFL games I got to felt like one of the most Canadian things I ever did, especially in a country that has such a like fragmented fucking kaleidoscopic um, identity that's constantly being influenced by the fact that we have so much immigration and America is right beside us. That was one of the few times where I was like, oh, I'm fucking, this is Canadian culture. So at the end of the day, it would be also sad to to lose it, but we can't let that notion fucking feed Randy's and fucking what's his face, that Miller guy's jowls. I'll give you, I went to one CFL game. It was uh, it was in the before times when, you know, the Edmonton football team was still racist. And I sat next to, I uh, sat next to an indigenous woman who was a season's ticket holder, which I, I did, I did ask her about it. And she said, I just love the team, man. Like, okay, no, I'll, I'll accept that. Interse- intersectionality playing itself out in reality, yeah. But yeah, no, we'll be, uh, we'll be back at you next week. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Off Court Podcast. Peace.